In light of Lucy's baptism, I thought we would have a baptism sermon. Of course, this is not going to be necessarily a defense of infant baptism as we've looked at in the past, but I thought we'd reflect upon uh, the uh, significance that children play in the Gospel of Matthew. The significance that children play in the Gospel of Matthew, because they appear, if you've read through the Gospel, um, in very significant areas and significant ways, and important ways that help us to understand the nature of the kingdom of God. But before getting to Matthew, there's some really helpful Old Testament background in Psalm 8 that Jesus himself quotes with respect to children. And so first we're going to turn to Psalm 8, so I invite you to turn there with me. Psalm 8, page 450, if you're using one of the Bibles here. And specifically, we'll read the whole psalm, but it's verse 2 that Jesus uh, quotes, again, with respect to children in the New Testament. Before we read, though, let's go before our God that he might bless this word to us. Let's pray. Our gracious God, Lord, we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. So may Christ speak to us even now, and that may we hear him and respond in true faith, even as we are reminded of the nature of his kingdom how it is hidden and yet revealed, and how it is not one that partakes of the power structures of this world, but one that sees great strength even in the children, in the children of, uh, that belong to you. And so we pray that you would help us to see these things, to hear Christ, and we might respond in faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 8, beginning at verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We're going to turn now to Matthew 21 in the New Testament, first book of the New Testament. If you're using one of the Bibles here, it's on page 826. And this is given in the context of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Uh, We had dealt with this um, a few weeks ago, Palm Sunday, right? Jesus coming to Jerusalem, being praised as the Messiah, though hidden from the world that the Messiah, in order to save and redeem his people, was going to lay down his life. And so Jesus rides in there to die uh, for his people In the midst of all of this, uh, the religious leaders are not able to perceive the true identity of who Jesus is. Instead, they are hardened and their eyes are blind uh, to him. And yet, as he comes to the temple, the, the, the center of life in Israel, it's not the religious leaders who recognize Jesus and recognize who he is, but it is the children uh, there who perceive in humble trust who Christ is. And so we read verses 12 through uh, 16, Matthew 21. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, 
My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant, and they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out to the city, uh, to Bethany, and lodged there. So far from God's holy word. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as I said earlier, children uh, have a very significant role all throughout the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, um, in all of the tellings of Jesus' story, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, children are very significant. In some sense, you can say that children, just to give you a summary theme statement here, children are a kind of picture book of what it means to belong to the kingdom of God. Children are for us, the children of this congregation, you can look at them even as Jesus took a child and put him in his midst and pointed to this child. Children are a kind of picture book for us of good theology, of good kingdom living. And so I want us to see that and reflect upon that. First, by just taking a quick survey of children in Matthew's gospel. Uh, Second, we're going to zoom into Psalm 8, and especially verse 2, to see what principle is taught there. And then we're going to focus back in in Matthew 21 with Jesus' words here. And so that's going to be the three movements of this sermon. So first, uh, think about children in the gospel of Matthew Uh, more generally. And so who is the first child uh, mentioned in Matthew's gospel? Jesus, nice, good good answer, right? Christ himself. Christ himself, one who is truly God, comes born as a child. And if you read Matthew chapter 2, there the, 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 the phrase is repeated over and over again, the child. It's interesting, right? Rather than focusing on his name, Jesus, there's a constant focus in Matthew chapter 2 on the fact that he is the child. One highlighting the fact that he is a child, one who is vulnerable, one who is weak, one who is passive, and all that's taking place, right? Herod is hunting this child, and yet in the midst of all of it, him doing nothing, passively is redeemed and saved from all of Herod's attacks, And so there's this emphasis on the fact that Christ himself is that child. And there's something telling about this further in the sense that this child is none other than the Son of God. Right? You could look at this child and and, and on on a surface level you say, well, it's just a child. What strength, what power, what glory could be in this child? And yet if you looked at this child by faith like the wise men did, right? They recognize the significance of this child, even referring to him as the king. And so we begin to see this basic principle, even throughout Matthew's gospel, that what is hidden from the wise and understanding is revealed to children. That's what is hidden from the wise understanding is the fact that God shows his strength in the things the world sees as weak. God shows his strength in the things that the world sees as weak even in children. And the Son of God himself, born as a child, saved from Herod without contributing anything, begins to show us that point. So more than Matthew 2, later in Matthew chapter 11, you can turn there if you'd like, in verse 25, 
Jesus makes this uh, very point. He says, verse 25, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, at least in the world's eyes, right? The, the wise and the understanding, those of impressive rank, of status, of prestige in the eyes of the world. God the Father has hidden these things, and Jesus thanks him for that. He has hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to who? Little children. He revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Again, the basic principle we see running throughout is that the the will of God, which he keeps from those of great power and prestige in this world from seeing, he makes known to children. Those, especially during that time, but even you think about today, children don't have much to contribute necessarily in terms of worldly power or worldly things that they could accumulate and, and, and strength that they could give of arms or of money or whatever it might be, right? And yet God is the one who reveals himself to them, hiding himself from those who are proud, revealing himself to those who are children, as he's going to go on to say as well. Another place in Matthew chapter 18, children are again brought up. Matthew chapter 18. And notice, again, the way in which children are a kind of picture book for those who belong to the kingdom of God. It says there, verse 1, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child... He put the child in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. And so when we think about children, right, the emphasis here is not to be childlike in terms of um, immaturity or whatever it might be, but the reason Jesus says you must become like a child is he says that in the sense that you must um, exemplify humility, the humility of a child who is dependent, who receives, who trusts. And Jesus is saying to the church today, what is to characterize us as citizens of the kingdom of heaven is this child likeness. Again, the children here are picture books for us to learn from. We, we look at them and we see humility. Now, of course, our children can be proud and they need to be corrected. We heard about that in the baptism form as well, right? We confess our children are born in sin. And, but the basic idea of looking at a child and the point that we're emphasizing is the humility of a child, And so what is to characterize the church first and foremost and is to characterize us as the people of God is childlikeness, humility, humility. That that is the peak virtue of the people of God. And, And it's something we need to be reminded of today, right? The church can feel kind of cornered. We got to lash out. We need strength. We need power. We need aggression. No. We don't. We need childlikeness. 
Because it's in that that God reveals his strength. It's in humility that the gospel advances and the church grows. And so, yes, we shouldn't just simply be passive in this life and there's things to do. But what is to to first and foremost characterize us as, as the people of God is a pursuit of humility. That's what Jesus says. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven are those who become like this child, who humbles himself like this child. Humility is what is to define us. And again, this is something that is hidden from the eyes of the world. The world thinks that if, it is to, if its cause is to grow and if its cause is to be successful, that it must act not with humility, but in fact, we can kind of get rid of virtues. We can kind of put those to the side because the cause matters more, matters more. And therefore, we can act with, pr- with pride. We can act with aggression. We can, we can utilize the things of this world in terms of um, sin and cutting and biting and fighting and The way the kingdom of Christ advances is through humble people, childlikeness. And that's something hidden from the world and something that we proceed by faith to to accomplish. So Jesus is telling us here, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the one who humbles himself. And so maybe I can ask the question, right? In the past year, past two years, uh, would you say that humility has been something that you have personally been striving for by grace and the power of the Spirit. Again, I think it's something we've forgotten about in a lot of ways. But again, humility is meant to characterize us and our children as we look at them every Sunday, every day, if you're a parent of those child, or whenever we see them, they're picture books reminding us of humility as the key virtue of the kingdom of God. A couple, a couple of passages more. Matthew chapter 19 Verse 13, there it says that children were brought to Jesus that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs to the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Right? Again, Jesus' own statement very clearly. To them belong the kingdom of heaven. To our children belong the kingdom of heaven. To Lucy belongs the kingdom of heaven. Again, a remarkable statement. Not to the powerful, not to those of great um, influence, not to those of great wealth, but to such belong the kingdom of heaven, to the children to Lucy belongs the kingdom of heaven. Now again, as we saw regarding in the, in the baptism form, it doesn't mean there's no obligation on Lucy's part, no obligation on her parents' part. She's to show forth that she is a, a daughter of that kingdom. She's to show that forth, and we're to instruct her and, and call her and encourage her towards that as well. But as Jesus says, by his grace, he, he gives his kingdom to those whom the world would say are really useless until maybe they grow up, or useless until they they find, you know, they actually can contribute something. God gives his kingdom even to children, because again, his strength is made known in that. So God does is how he operates. And then that brings us to our passage, which we'll come back to in a moment, right? Jesus comes in Matthew 21, 
kind of the culminating point of the children spoken about from Jesus himself in Matthew 2 to the child he brings in his midst, uh, to the child that he points to and says that to such belongs the kingdom. And now kind of comes to a culminating point in Matthew's gospel regarding uh, these uh, children who praise him in the temple while the religious leaders, those who should have known, um, were themselves blind to who Jesus was. And so we'll come back to that in a moment. But remember that Jesus, in defense of these children, right, they begin praising him. And the Pharisees and and the scribes, they begin grumbling and saying, are you going to let them continue to do this? Are you going to let them continue to praise you? And Jesus says, yes. (laughs) Have you never read? A little bit of a slight dig, right? Uh, These were experts in the law of the Lord. Uh, They probably had the whole Old Testament memorized, at least the first five books of the Bible. Uh, They knew the word inside and out. And yet Jesus can say to them, have you never read? Because they overlooked this and were blind to this basic principle. Again, a principle that is so hard for us to grasp. That God's power is revealed in weakness. God's power is made known in humble acts by his people. Again, it's hard for us to live like that when we feel cornered. And even the Pharisees becoming self-righteous and wanting to overthrow the Roman government, whatever it might be, they lost sight of this. And so Jesus says, have you never read? And he cites for them Psalm 8, verse 2. So let's turn there again to Psalm 8 and look briefly um, at this psalm. So just a couple uh, just comments about this psalm in general, right? It begins and ends with the same refrain, right? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then it ends, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, right? And so, um, as we said earlier, if you read the psalms leading up to Psalm 8, they're mostly psalms of lament. Um, The Davidic king, David, is uh, being hunted by enemies. He's facing trials. He's facing trouble. There's darkness all around him. And in the midst of all of it, if you read through Psalm 3 through 7, uh, you'll see that David focuses on the fact in the midst of all of these trials and all of the darkness, God sustains him. God is his strength. God is the one who upholds him. Again, in the eyes of the world, David was one who was not to be looked upon with favor, right? He was hunted. Who is he, the king of Israel on the run? Who is he, the king of Israel, being being plagued by these things? Again, David's own strength was one that was hidden because his strength was in the Lord, not in outward physical things. It was the whole point when David was called to the kingship, right? The Lord doesn't look at outward appearance. He looks at the heart. What is unseen, what is invisible to the eyes of the world. David defines that, embodies that for us, that very principle. And David's life, as it's worked out, shows us that same point. Again, in the midst of all of the darkness, David can confess strength because the Lord is his strength, though the whole earth give way. And so at the end of Psalm 7, he then says, I will give thanks to the Lord, Due to his righteousness, I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. In the midst of the darkness, he will proclaim and make Christ known and and, and sing to the Lord and thank him. And the way he does that is Psalm 8. Psalm 8 is that response to what he said he's going to do at the end of Psalm 7. He sings to the Lord. And he recognizes then that as he looks out upon the creation, though his eyes alone would tell him that things are a bit chaotic and there's darkness around him, By faith, he sees the whole earth full of the glory of the Lord, that his majesty and and his name is in all 
the earth, right? This is a song that is sung by David by faith, by looking to the Lord and knowing that though things may look dire, God's purposes are being accomplished and that God is the one who is doing it. And so with that kind of wide angle, look at verse 2. Again, the same principle that Jesus sees, we saw throughout the Gospel of Matthew, that Jesus applies in Matthew 21, that David's own life embodies, is this. Verse 2, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Really a stark contrast here, right? On the one hand, you have infants and babies, of an army of babies, <laughs> kind of a funny sight, I guess, right? You have an army of babies, and then you have these powerful enemies and avengers. And the basic principle that Psalm 8 says, and what David confesses and gives glory to God for, is that out of the army of babies singing, their song is strength to, to still the enemy and the avenger. The army of babies paralyzes and defeats the the enemy and the avenger. And again, the point here is meant to kind of be like, how does that work? What's going on here? Again, it's meant to, to, to shock us a bit. Again, the point here is that God reveals his strength in the things the world think thinks are weak. In those that thinks it can't that can't contribute to anything, can't be productive, can't 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 take a, a, a high position or a high place. God is saying, I've shown my strength and I overturn the strong with that which they think is weak. That's what God does over and over. Read, you know, read, just read the Bible. You'll see that theme over and over and over and over again. God confounding the wise with foolish, what they think is foolish. God um, um, you know, arm wrestling and defeating the strong with the things that the world thinks are weak. It's how the Lord operates. It's how the Lord operates even today with his people. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you've established strength. Children are a picture book for us of true kingdom living and what it means to belong to the kingdom of God. So that being said, let's turn now to Matthew 21. And again, it's kind of the same principle, but it's something we need drilled into our minds God does not despise uh, the weak and the lowly. God does not despise what the world despises, but instead he shows his strength um, in it. So Matthew 21, again, just to read some of these verses here. Uh, Well, actually, we don't have to reread them. That's fine. Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. So, again, in the midst of these false teachers and these um, Pharisees um, who would... uh, have these children silent, Jesus again defends them and again points us to children as a picture book. So let's conclude with three, uh, three exhortations, the way in which children are a kind of picture book for us. And the first is that in humble ch- trust, children perceive the nature of the kingdom. Children perceive the nature of the kingdom. They recognize what is before them singing this hymn, singing this psalm uh, for the sake of uh, Jesus and recognizing that what he is bringing. 
And therefore, children teach us that it's not a matter of looking at appearances of things. They correct us from a kind of externalism where we need to have everything before our eyes and we need to have everything in front of us rather than simply trusting what God has said in his word. This was, the, this was the problem with Israel of old, right? They trusted their eyes. They grumbled in the wilderness because they saw no food, no water. And rather than trusting God's word to them, um, it's the temptation in the New Testament as well. You see, read the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. They were tempted to go back to the external forms of the old covenant because it's easier to see those things, easier to touch those things. But we're reminded that the kingdom that Jesus brought, the nature of it that the children perceived, is that it is one that is unseen by the world. And is one that grows even undetected by the world. Children perceive the true nature of God's kingdom, not caught up with externals, uh, but seeing the fact that it it is a kingdom that God has promised and one that is ultimately spiritual. The second thing that, can, that children teach us is that in humble tr- trust, children praise the king of the kingdom. Right, we can't lose sight of the fact that what is considered strength here is their singing, is their praising of this king. It's very telling, again, that this all takes place in the temple, the place where God was to be worshipped, the centerpiece of religion in Israel, where God met with his people. Jesus had, had cleared the tables, remember? He cleared the tables because they had made a place of prayer, prayer being kind of a summary term for worship, a den of robbers. They were selling and buying, and they were losing sight of what was real and what was important, what, what, was, what was most important, which was the praise of God, the glory of God. And ch- the children here in Matthew 21 teach us And remind us that what is utmost and what is most important in the Christian life is one of praising God, of glorifying God. That's why Jesus does not silence these children, but he has them continue. And so in the midst of their singing, these children demonstrate great strength. In the midst of their singing, the children remind us that what is most important in the Christian life, what is most central to your life as a Christian is that you praise the Lord. You worship him, not just in song on Sunday, but our whole lives offered up to him in praise and in honor. Children, teach us this thing. And the third thing that children teach us here is that in humble trust, children paralyze the enemies of the kingdom. Again, this was the point of Psalm 8, right? To still the enemy and the avenger. And it's interesting that when Jesus defends the children, quoting Psalm 8, you never hear again from the Pharisees or the scribes in Matthew's gospel. I think it's Matthew's point of saying that they've been silenced. Matthew's point to say that these children, in their praise, have brought about the silencing of these great leaders, or ones who are supposed to be great leaders. And so again, we do not despise the things the world thinks is weak. And I'm reminded, you know, recently maybe you heard some of the news um, regarding Elon Musk buying Twitter, and some of us are, you know, cheering for that, whatever. My point's not, you know, to give an opinion on that. But I did find it interesting uh, that there was kind of a, a comment I kept hearing uh, from some people saying, well, if only Elon Musk would become a Christian, if only Elon Musk would become a Christian, then, then you know, the, 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 we'd be more secure. 
then the cause of Christ would prosper. It's kind of, again, is that the kind of mindset that the gospel teaches us? Right now, if anyone's saved, right, we rejoice with the angels in heaven, whether it's Elon Musk or the guy I just saw walking across the street, right? We would praise God for any of them being redeemed and saved. But to think that if the richest man in the world was only on our side, the one of most power who could buy giant corporations, if only he was on our side, then, then the cause of Christ would be advanced really well and fast, and then we'll conquer, and then we'll ha- That's not the mindset of the kingdom of God. There's no more security given to the church than if Elon Musk is converted or Lucy is born into the covenant. There's no more power than a child being received as a member of this covenant. Again, to such belong the kingdom. God does not need the wealth of this world. God does not need the armies of this world. God doesn't need the power structures of this world. He carries his purposes out in children. And by children, he silences his enemies. And so that's the principle we're reminded of, right? As we look at Lucy, as we look at the children of this congregation, they are picture books of what it means to belong to the kingdom of God, to be citizens of his kingdom. And so don't lose sight of that. Children are very important to Christ himself, right? I mean, he even said, if you, if you do anything to them, I'm putting a millstone around your neck and throwing you into the sea. Now, that would be probably problematic if you wrote that on Twitter today. But, right, it's, it reflects the fact that he cares deeply for those things that the world might think of as useless or maybe in the future might be helpful. But again, God's power is made known in weakness. And God accomplishes his purposes not needing the things of this world, but overcoming and overturning the things of this world by means of the things that are weak. He did this in the cross of Christ. Conquered sin and death, the great, great enemies that none have been able to defeat. Right? He conquered them at the cross in death. That very resurrection principle is the one that's always at work. God overturning the schemes and the power structures of this world through things that the world despises and views as weak, even the cross of Christ. Foolish to the the Jew, um, weak to the Greek, right? All all of these things. But the cross of Christ is truly the power of God for salvation. And so as we go forth into a new week, right, what is to mark us as God's people are those who humble themselves before the Lord. What God says in Isaiah 66, right, this is the one to whom I will look the one who humbles himself before my word and is contrite of heart. That's the one the world, that God looks upon. The world may overlook such people, but God delights in such people. Humble people who love him, who trust him, and who go forth living for his glory, no matter what the world may think or see. God makes himself known in these things. And so our children, as we go and live and as a congregation, right, our children are to be a picture book for us of these truths. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the ways in which you operate and the ways in which you work in this world. Uh, ways that are surprising. Uh, ways that overturn the wisdom of this world. 
And so, Father, help us as we've been reminded, even as uh, the children play such a significant role in the gospel of Jesus, uh, that we might be reminded that you make your strength known and your power known in the things that the world might see as useless or despised. And so, Father, help us then to see all things through the lens of your word to bring you glory and that we might be a people marked by great humility as citizens of your heavenly kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.